This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on today's show. Education, health, shopping and so much more. Are you ready to go back to online learning? It wasn't my favourite part of the pandemic, I'm not going to lie. But an online school is aiming to plug some gaps and address the needs of all sorts of students. We are speaking to the co-founder and principal, Carl Morris. Wandering with Nada, eating her way through Dubai Mall's Chinatown with a brand new supermarket, plus the Adams Family murder mystery, what you need to know. Healthy Hania was live sharing her Ayurvedic tips for weight loss and weight management. And Mary Masani discussing child abuse and neglect in the UAE. Do you know the laws and do you know the numbers? As we get back into the classroom, do you have to be in the classroom to learn? Carl Morris with us today. Carl is the co-founder and principal at the online school. It's a platform that aims to make education more relevant, more flexible, more accessible with some digital and I'm intrigued to hear about physical learning spaces as well about, I guess, students taking ownership of their education. Carl, how are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone, the parents listening today. I hear online learning and I have visceral flashbacks to the pandemic where it was me chasing my child around the house being like you have to do it the seesaw app says you have to do it (laughs) i will do it we'll take a picture let's just let's just get this done okay i i I actually can't even look at the seesaw app without without feeling (laughs) major angst um so i would love to try and put that aside and have a little think about what this can look like now, tell us a little bit about the gap that you've identified with the online school. What are you looking to address? Yeah, so I think during the the pandemic, the homeschooling became a bit of a dirty word. Mm. I think it was something that was it was so varied in the way that it was delivered, and uh, and at the time I was working for a, for a previous education company, and we had again just a varied response to this. But we had a significant number of parents say to us we really enjoyed the flexibility and we would like to continue this in some way or another. Um, Now, if you do this with a tuition provider one-to-one, it's incredibly expensive. So it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work. And so we said, okay, how do we build an online school? And, and I'm not talking about putting lessons on zoom and, and, and calling that a school or, or putting some online resources on and calling that a school. I'm talking about what does it really mean to, to build a school and have this same community that you have in a physical space mm-hmm. in a digital space. Okay, I understand that. What I don't understand is what that looks like kind of in practice. So what age group are you kind of targeting with this? Carl? So we, we start, we're starting by targeting 14 to 16 year olds. And that's in part because um, this is an age range that we, we believe can do uh, a level of independent study. It would still have to be supervised by, by expert educators. Um, we think to go any younger, that's that's a hybrid learning environment. That's not going to remain fully fully online. So 14 to 16, then up to A-levels, um, and then hybrid down, I think. So tell us then in terms of the students, and I'd love to hear the feedback, as you said, from, from parents saying, this is working for us and why? Are there any certain personality traits or family requirements that you feel like actually this would lend itself as a model really well to? 
Yeah, so I think the number one thing that people come to us for is flexibility. So this is the thing that everyone is always asking us. And it, it's the thing people actually move to us from other online schools for this flexibility. Because it's, if you put online lessons online and it's still a nine till two day, you, you've kind of not got that flexibility. So an online schooling model needs to take advantage of the technology to to augment the, the experience in a way that isn't just shifting everything online. Um, and so, yeah, we have families that are high-end athletes and they need to play tennis in the middle of the day or they need to structure it around uh, the tournaments, which might happen in the week. Um, we do also work with kids with special educational needs. And, and this was one that really intrigued me when I was a principal of, of my previous school. Uh, and, and I was asked to close the school in March 2020. And I'd just become the head in February 2020. And uh, it, was a, it was a big learning curve for me. And I was terrified of these kids with special educational needs. How are they going to work online? This, mm -hmm. is, this is never going to work. Yeah, I'm falling through the gaps ultimately and it being a massive, well... And crossroads. Yeah, and 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 what we ultimately did, what we what we found was that the the flexibility in delivery really worked for them. So we had students that started text based, then moved into being uh, audio lessons, then moved into the video, and we were one of the very few schools in during the pandemic that actually had increased attendance afterwards because the kids with special educational needs had built stepping stones to coming back. Now, put your honest hat on. Are there any kids where you feel like this model really wouldn't lend itself? Oh, for sure. I mean, there are kids where, um, that, that where different schools wouldn't work for them. And I think what's really nice about the online school environment is its variety. Everyone's different. Everyone's got a different vision for education. So there are kids that wouldn't fit it. And I think the, the, perhaps people that are very, very active or need a lot of classroom management. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's the variety that's important. How are we addressing the social side? You know, we don't just go to school for the academics. We go and think about... Well, for me, you know, seeing your mates, seeing some boys, um, you know, but you, you get an idea of that sense of belonging and getting a sense of social structure. You know, there's so many different different reasons why a physical space can, can make sense. How do you address that? I think it's important to remember that although schools are really great at being social environments, they aren't the only social environment. And actually, we've had parents come to us and say, you've given my child their childhood back because they're not too tired to go out and socialize in a social setting. I mean, very few people actually think of work as the social setting. And mm -hmm. school can be the kind of equivalent of that mm -hmm. if it's not the right environment for that child. I think I think it's so much of it comes back to the lens that you grew up with. Like, I really enjoyed school. And, it, yeah. it you know, it was a really fun place for me. I had a great group of friends. And I, I took that for granted at the time. I think looking back there must have been kids that were there who hated it. For sure. You know, who hated it, whether yeah. it was because they were being bullied, they hadn't found their, their place. And this potentially could be something of a century for, for, for kids like that. We've got Carl Morris with us. He's the co-founder and principal of the online school. education now specifically online education with carl morris the co-founder and principal at the online school um and a number of messages questions for you um i think a lot of people and i said to you this off air it's a big risk to educate our children in yeah. a different way to what we're familiar with it, it feels like oh i love the idea of doing something different but 
I've got my child's education and future kind of in in my hands. So it's great to offer up some kind of reassurances. Um, some really interesting messages coming in on this topic. Um, I wanted to ask you about how the curriculum was created. What what are you what are you following, and how have you recruited teachers? How's that? How talk, tell us about that side, Carl. Yeah, so we're a British curriculum school, and where we started with this um, when we started building the online school about two years ago is uh, we went to the examiners and we said, okay let's get the skeleton right. So we go to the examiners and we'll get you to write us core content. And then what we're, we're really good at as, as, as tutors and experts in this very personalized delivery is spicing it up a bit and making sure that the students uh, are engaged and it's relevant to what's happening in the world today. And so that they went through this process of taking it from senior examiners, getting them to write us hundreds of hours worth of lessons, giving it to our team and saying, all right, make this engaging, make this exciting, make this relevant. Um, and then we started recording. So we built a studio out here in, in, in JLT and we're just filming hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of content just to make sure that it can be on demand. Right, we're going to try and get through as many questions as possible, Carl. How do you feel about a quick fire? Yeah, let's okay. go. Um, Sandy's saying, um, the main issue we had with online learning during COVID was the online distraction. How can you tackle that? Yeah, that's tricky. It depends how engaged the student is in my experience. And so it's all about making sure that that content is really highly engaging. And we tested this on things like TikTok earlier on and ended up with 30 million views and followers and people actually debating Pythagoras in our comments. And so once you can get that level of engagement, I think you can you can keep them online, but it's also getting the teachers to drop in on you and do learning walks, we call it. Um, a message here saying, it's not just the right type of kids, it's also the right parents. My nephew, 16, does 100% online schooling and he's now having to do year nine for the second time. The parents aren't ensuring he does do what he needs to do and he doesn't have the drive or self-discipline to do it himself. Let's talk about your four models then when it, when it yeah. comes to different styles of learning because that sounds like that just isn't working at all. Yeah, so we have self-study, we have uh, uh, semi-independent, we have part-time and full-time. And these are basically just designed on the level of contact time you have with teachers. But I think the key here is mentorship. Mentorship's not optional. Everyone gets mentorship. Everyone has a mentor that guides them, pushes them and nudges them in the right direction. What, what I guess what I'm kind of trying to get an understanding of, when things start to go wrong, like as we're just hearing here, what measures are in place for that correction? So that's where your that's is where your mentor comes in. So they would then have meetings with you and make sure that you're on track. But really, the key is find out why why you disengage, what's going wrong, and the whole idea behind the online school is flexibility and adaptability. So it, being able to move around the curriculum at will because something's not working at this moment in time. Can you demystify a little bit around? I guess how it works, the tech, what a typical day would look like. Yeah. So let's let's not use a golfing protege as an example. Let's just use someone who perhaps you know, they they they've had a tough time. They don't want to be a physical school environment, but they are at, at GCSE, really crucial time in terms of learning. What what do they need? Who are they seeing? Can you really yeah, break yeah, it down yeah, for absolutely. us, Carl? So where we're really different from other online schools is we split our platform into different pedagogies. So we said the, there's what we're calling the campfire. There's the delivery, someone delivering information for you. And that could be done through contact time with a tutor or through independent study, through our recorded lessons. Uh, so you'd probably do a few hours of that in a day. And depending on what student you are, you might have those back to back or you might have them split throughout the day. So let's say you're doing two hours of actual study. Then the next area we, all, we call the 
cave. And that's where you're supposed to just consolidate and get your head down. So this is kind of test prep. This is tools like Labster, like virtual labs and things like this to, to consolidate your learning. So we might get, you might do an hour of that. And then the last area is peer to peer. So this is what we call the watering hole where students are encouraged to ask each other questions, rewarded for answering each other's questions and doing group project work. So in every day you have a selection of these three areas. And where are the kids? Well, as in, where are they geographically yeah. located? They're mostly located between here and London at the minute. These are the two markets that we're targeting, partly because we have teams on the ground in both locations. Um, so mostly UAE and uh, London, but we also have a few in Germany. Netherlands uh, is, is quite popular at the minute. I was just thinking about time differences and, and making friends. I'm a message <laughs> here saying, how about PE? That's a good point. Yeah, so this is actually something we're working on at the minute and we're super excited about. So we're working with a... Uh, an expert personal trainer, we can't say who, but an influencer on, uh, on, on social media. And he's actually building us pre-recorded uh, PE courses, a bit a la Joe Wicks in his, his PE days in the UK. Uh, but we're also, you know, you get notifications on your smartwatch, you need to move, you need to do That's this. why I don't wear one. <laughs> we're, we're building <laughs> this into the platform. So PE activity, moving around, it's all built in. Now, I want to go to a really important question, which is that kind of the risk taking what next? What does this mean? A message here saying, can you please ask, um, will there be any challenges um, regarding admission to university in the UAE? So how recognised is the online school? So the online school is recognised through the UK. Uh, there's also a new accreditation for online schools in the UK that we're seeking approval for as well. That's Ofsted backed. Um, we have worked with students who have gotten into both schools in the UAE, the US, the UK, and this has never been an issue before. Uh, and actually, it can show a real level of independence and it can set you apart. So if you're aiming high for something like Oxbridge, it's something we love to talk about on the personal statements because it sets you apart at the minute. Uh, but it does also teach you that independent learning, which is often a real culture shock when you actually get to university. Yep, that's why I got a 2-2. <laughs> um, and Kamali, thank you for raising this, Kamali, saying, how does it compare on price? How do you ultimately bolt together the different levels of tuition, the subjects covered, and any any kind of extracurricular as well, Carl? So it's based, the, the price changes based largely on contact time. So the base price is $7,000 for the full GCSE program, two-year program. Um, and then it's it's largely dependent on how the level of I intervention that you want in terms of contact time. So if you wanted a full time, twenty five hour a week program, you are looking at a, a quite a large expense, probably forty to fifty thousand um, dollars. But you can the whole idea is that you can do this at different levels. And what we're doing as we scale, that price should come down. So the cost of the base price will come down and we'll start to introduce groups, which is something we haven't done yet. And that group tutoring will then bring the cost down even more. So our aim is to make this as accessible as possible. We were just chatting earlier this week with the Provost of Heriot Watt University, uh, Professor Dame Heather McGregor, and we were talking about the future of tertiary education. You know, when you look at like, Gary Neville's you know, university in the UK, which is basically throwing out the idea of having term time at all. So we're thinking here about it being flexible on a daily basis. Could you basically cram in your GCSEs into six months potentially if you needed to? Absolutely. The only thing you're bound by is the exam dates. And we've got a lot of students this year that want to do a one-year GCSE for whatever reason, some reason or another. Uh, so this is very, very popular that they want to do things or they want a four-term year or they want just slightly different organisation. Uh, but also some we're building in courses that we jokingly call critical curriculum because we partner with 8 billion ideas and that's what they call it. And uh, this is this means that 
STEM is important, but so are all these entrepreneurship skills, startup skills, speech and communication. Mm -hmm. And this is embedded as a core subject, not an extracurricular. Interesting. Okay. Shame is saying, would you welcome mature students? So someone wants to go back and like, you know, maybe I absolutely do not want to do a maths A level. I left it very happily <laughs> at age 16. But if someone wanted to go back and top up their skills, or is it purely for teens right no, now? No, 100%. For safeguarding purposes, we do segregate the, the, the under 18s. Um, but... Uh, we do uh, uh, have courses that are designed for mature students. It's a slightly different style as well because probably the content that we're putting for 14, 15 year olds is not going to be the same for a 30 year old. But um, yeah, mature students, more than welcome. A message saying two, two Desmond's all the way. Yeah, I had, a, <laughs> I, I had a great time at university. Absolutely no regrets. Um, one last message. Um, uh, no name on this one saying, are you recruiting teachers? Yes, absolutely. Actively recruiting teachers for a combination of things, for live teaching, for creating content, uh, for being filmed in our studio. Uh, yeah, so do get in touch if you want to get involved. Brilliant. Carl Morris, thank you so, so much. It's, it, you've got a, you've scored a really good website. It couldn't be easier. <laughs> Theonlineschool.com. So if you are looking to explore this, the different levels of tuition the subjects currently offers, that's, that's the best way of getting in touch? Yes, absolutely. You are in Dubai for... A couple of months now, yep. you're going to be speaking at guests. Um, just uh, if anyone wants to go along, find out more about that. Best way to get in touch through the through the website, through the Instagram. Yeah, or find me on LinkedIn and you want to talk to me directly. Yeah, there you go. If you want to send me the word school, I will send you those links. You can find out more. Really interesting. Really, really interesting. Maybe, so maybe my PTSD will have subsided by the time my daughter's at GCSE level. I might, <laughs> I might see you online, Carl. Thank you so, so much. If you do want details of the online school, just send me the word school. I will send you the website. If you are in search of some inspiration for places to go, things to eat, things to buy, or maybe you've got guests coming to town and you're sick of doing the same old things, fear not. We're hooking you up. Wonder with Nada live in the studio. And if you've got any top tips, where do you love to take your guests when they come to Dubai? Go on. Spill your secrets on 4001. Nada, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm really well. Really, really well. First Although, of all, it's so great to see you. I haven't seen you in ages. I and I really am so glad to have you here in well, person. It's lovely, to, it's lovely to have you here because every single WhatsApp group I'm in at the minute is talking about the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I really hope guests are going to be on time. Yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely uh, just had some trouble only with the parking downstairs. Yeah, so. no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny how we have these little barometers of how busy Dubai is. Mm -hmm. Mine is the parking downstairs. Yeah. It's also the price of the Ibis Hotel on Shakeside Road as I'm driving home. I'm like, oh, it's only <laughs> 139 so dirhams. <laughs> Oh, oh my God, you're so right. But, but that to me. Yeah. Um, and then as I'm driving home, I go over the Hessa Street flyover to get onto Shakeside. And if I look down and go, whew, it's better, better settle in for a, for a long one. So yeah, <laughs> it is. It's busy. It's safe to say that I've never known a September as busy as this in my 16 years in Dubai. So yep. it is great. Business is booming. But yeah, do allow extra time. So just for context, and you're obviously very plugged into, you know, the the tourism scene here in Dubai. We're going to be talking about some of your tours. Um, how did you get started in your, I guess, in your adventures, Nada? Where did it all begin for you as, your, as this role that you have as a, a tour guide and an adventurer? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the inspiration behind it all, and I, I feel like I haven't answered this question in ages, uh, but it was a trip in Italy. I was sitting at a cafe in Florence with my sister, and I was just enjoying the trip so much, having done, like, all the sightseeing, all the tours, all the great, great food, and gelato. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there thinking to myself, if I could replicate this level of joy and happiness that I'm having now, 
I want to have the same for anyone who's visiting the UAE. And what were you doing professionally at that point? Oh, yeah, I was in management consulting. <laughs> pivot. <laughs> yes, a very big pivot. Um, but, you know, started thinking up the idea, working out the business plan, and then started really um, with the wandering just almost immediately after. Now, how long have you been in the UAE now? Oh, 35 years. That's not possible when you're only 27. <laughs> of course. That's insane. <laughs> uh, you're good at math. But what, is it, what, have you, what do you think are some of the big misconceptions that you hear from people who are planning a visit here or when they get their boots on the ground, they go, oh, I wasn't expecting. Well, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that the only thing they're going to see is malls. Uh, and the only people they're going to talk to are the very and uber wealthy. Um, whereas the reality is, there is plenty to you know to see and do here in the city, and it's stuff that us locals get up to on a daily basis. Mm. We're not going and spending a fortune on you know jewelry or clothes at every chance. Um, I'm sure many would like to, but <laughs> but no, it, but I, that, that's my big frustration as well. Mm-hmm. That it's going to be this, and of course, if you want to seek out that shiny side, my goodness, you don't need to look very far, but. I get very protective over Dubai. Yep. <laughs> you know? And I, I honestly will also hear a lot of people come and maybe spend less than a day and come up with these very, very, um, you know, just inaccurate conclusions uh, that they then proceed to share with others. And I just, I think that's wrong on so many levels. Whether that is a guest or someone who comes here on, on a press trip as a journalist, I've seen people come here with an agenda and it gets this confirmation bias of going, oh, look, there's another Lamborghini. I was absolutely right about my preconceptions. Yep, and, and then I'm, ticks that box and, and like, says, yeah, we saw it. Want to see what I'm driving? <laughs> Show you the other side to Dubai. <laughs> We're going wandering with Nod next Wonder with Nada live in the studio. And normally you're out and about on you know on the streets and hidden corners, but you also go to the odd mall or two. And it was <laughs> Dubai Mall Chinatown that you've been exploring and um, specifically supermarket. Tell yes. us about Hippo Box. So Hippo Box is a supermarket that I stumbled across as I was walking in Dubai Mall's Chinatown. Uh, And this is their first physical retail store that just opened a couple of weeks ago here in Dubai. And the first thing that I saw was this ginormous blue hippo standing under the lights that looked like it had been teleported into the (laughs) store. It was so weird. Uh, The blue represents uh, wisdom and the future. And from Everywhere, so floor to ceiling, they've got this very futuristic metallic style uh, with this Klein blue and space gray colors everywhere, including their staff attire. So again, it looks super futuristic. Okay, and it's, I don't want to say just a supermarket, but what... What's it selling? What's so special? Yeah, what's so special? Yeah, so they source their items from eight countries in Asia. So you can grab exotic snacks and all things matcha from China. You can get red bean cakes from Japan, spicy seasonings from Thailand, or Korean beverages and instant noodles. Ooh, mm. okay, now you've got my attention. <laughs> yes. I'm like, okay, are we talking crazy Kit Kat flavors and Korean food? I am down. Oh, absolutely. And what really stood out to me were the prices. I cannot tell you. They offer these premium Asian delicacies, but at a very reasonable cost, sold at 5% below the market price. So in Asia, canned coffee or canned tea is actually very, very popular. And a can of their Sangaria Royal Milk Tea, which is a product of Japan, made with black tea and also infused with about 25% milk, mm-hmm. was for 5.5 dirhams. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What about the higher end? Is there any kind of premium ingredients <laughs> yes. or imported things? <laughs> they do have stuff that's definitely on the higher end. So uh, I got to the fruit, fruit section and my jaw quite literally dropped, more specifically at the prices. So a crown musk melon was priced at 328 dirhams per piece. What does it do? <laughs> I know. I, I said, you know, I, they better be seedless. Um, <laughs> the ruby Roman grapes also sold for 576 dirhams. I, I think no. they should have a photographer just by that area to capture people's faces when they look at those prices. Um, hang on, hang on, hang, hang on. I'm Googling this. Tell, tell, tell me the name of the grapes. Did you say ruby? So one of them is called the ruby Roman grapes and they're made in Japan. Uh, and I think... You know, I think the the reason why these exquisite fruits are so expensive is due to Japan's intricate cultivation techniques. So everything's hand pollinated and also grown in limited quantities. And they were how much? More than 500 dirhams? Mm -hmm. So these fruits are gifted often in, you know, special occasions in Japan. And they're really also cherished for their flawless appearance, their taste and their unique packaging. Yeah, I should hope so. (laughs) Um, Here's my question. With fresh produce, if, if you're not selling the 500 dirham grapes... Do they just wither on the vine? <laughs> I thought about that. Is like there showing a up, tracking exactly like their expiration dates and just coming back maybe after those days have passed. Uh, but I think they probably do sell. I think because they're so limited, uh, people who do want to purchase them will definitely do so. Okay, seriously, guys, if you would buy grapes but for more than 500... Well, we're obviously talking about a normal portion of grapes. You're not getting like yeah, yeah, three Yeah, normal portion. Okay, message me on 4001 and then adopt me, <laughs> please. Um, so a, a quick Google has revealed the grapes have been sold for a record 1 million yen, approximately $8,200 or per berry... $315. See, do you, I shouldn't admit this. Actually, it's fine because where, where I shop, it's always, it's already got a barcode on. I buy it like the pre-packaged. But you have a little taste, don't you, just to see if you've got a nice, a nice grape. That's, that could potentially be a very expensive mistake. Yes. And I doubt they'd give those as, as <laughs> <There's> no sampling. <laughs> exactly. Oh but they God. were uh, giving out samples for other things. And they're currently actually selling these mooncakes, which are very popular treats for the Lunar Mid-Autumn Festival. And that's an annual event that celebrates the full moon when it's believed to be at its brightest. Okay. So they can either be salty or sweet or, you know, stuffed with things like white lotus seed paste, salted duck egg yolks. The ones I've bought you guys are actually lava uh, custard stuff. Ooh, that's my little my little mid-show snack. So this is Hippo Box Supermarket, Dubai Mall, Chinatown. And they've got a bakery next door I've, I've spotted. Did you manage to sneak in there? I did. Luck and Spring. Luck and Spring. Okay, <laughs> what happens there? So this is the latest addition to the Chinatown food court. It's a Chinese bakery and they serve a wonderful variety of desserts, including their signature vanilla chiffon cake, which they also had in a variety of other flavors like chocolate lava, cranberry and marble oreo now i actually have a very interesting story about this cake to tell and it actually originates in old hollywood when an insurance agent turned chef genius fiddled with ingredients and measurements in his home kitchen until he came up with this recipe so he sold it at a few restaurants and it was an instant hit even eleanor roosevelt asked for the recipe he refused to divulge it um, and later sold it to General Mills. And that's when the Bet- Betty Crocker chiffon cake recipe came out. Oh, really? And that's how we, of course, uh, were able to access it. Now, uh, the inventor's secret, it turned out, was vegetable oil. So he had replaced the usual butter with oil and skipped the step of creaming the butter. So instead, he would add the stiffly beaten egg whites to the batter. And that's how he made it to be 
what it is. It sounds more complicated to make than to eat. <laughs> yes. But it's actually, it's not very sweet. Uh, in fact, sugar levels were just perfect. But I can see how whipped cream would add a nice touch mm. if you've got a sweet tooth. I do. Mm. Um, message here from Robinson. I've seen a documentary about the Japanese melons. The way they are cared for and grown was incredible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek that out. Yep. That sounds like my kind of thing. Yep. Just, I feel like just, the farmers would, would just be sleeping in those yeah, just like little babies, fields. Just, just little babies <laughs> just held in the nook of your elbow. Uh, we've got time, I think, to go around the corner to the Paramount Hotel. Now, <laughs> we should be completely transparent here. When, when, you, said, when you said, okay, I want to talk about what's happening there, I was like, that's where I had my 40th birthday party. Um, hidden behind a bookcase is a, is a speakeasy <laughs> in the Paramount yes. Hotel. And they've got a new... I don't know, what would we say, event, date for the diary? What's it all about? So, yes, it's at Flashback Speakeasy, and this is the Adams Family-themed murder mystery that's over at the Paramount Hotel. Creepy, kooky, mysterious, and spooky, and so much fun. Um, basically, Cleopatra's amulet has gone missing, and its keeper was murdered while staying at the Adams Family Mansion Dum-dum-dum. in Central Park. Dum-dum-dum. So, it's set to hold the power to reveal your deepest, darkest weaknesses, so you as a visitor have to actually play detective and investigate Investigate. Find out who had the motive uh, to kill the keeper. So the entire family are suspects. And you know I love a good scavenger hunt, given I also have one as part of the, the tours. So when I read about this experience, I got so excited and decided last minute to dress up as Wednesday Adams. <laughs> Any excuse. Yes. And she's the daughter who's really known for her collar dress, her brutal honesty and dry wit, and her antagonistic relationship with her uh, brother. Pugsley. Um, it was one of my favorite movies actually growing up and I loved Christina uh, oh, Ritchie's yeah. Wednesday role. Me too. I loved all the gadgets. I loved the you know the pulling down and the seat, the shoot down to the basement and, and I loved the, like, the fighting scene and the dancing. Yeah. I, it's, a, it's a brilliant you know, atmosphere. I can see how it would lend itself really well to a kind of a murder mystery. So you're surrounded by staff who are actors and how does it how does it work? Yeah, so to get into the speakeasy, first of all, you're only allowed in if you whisper the secret passcode. So the decor inside is dark and gloomy, and the opening scene is actually the catchy theme tune, which brought back so many nostalgic mm-hmm. memories and many hand snapping. Yes, <laughs> I taught my daughter how to play it on the piano recently. And, really? Yeah, and then I regretted it because she didn't stop. <laughs> she plays it now nonstop. nonstop. Yeah. Non-stop. And then uh, the When You're an Adams uh, tune also follows introducing the family members so Gomez with his thin mustache and accent Morticia tall and elegant uh, Wednesday with her round eye stare and dead expression Mm. Uh, Pugsley who seemed to have given up on life (laughs) and you had the smiling uh, Uncle Fester who walks around with a light bulb in his mouth illuminating the room and finally Granny Frump who was the life of the party this sounds like so much fun. Is it something you could do at, with like a date night or a mate night or in groups? What would you recommend? Absolutely. For a birthday especially, I think it would be a great way just to, you know, liven up the atmosphere. So they sang movie songs and all kinds of pop. Everything from like Missy Elliott <gasps> to Lady Gaga to Weedus's Teenage Dirtbag. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so how far in advance are we having to to book a flashback? So I would definitely recommend booking as soon as possible. It only happens once a week, but it's also happening until October. So end of October. And this is, of course, just perfectly timed timed with Halloween. So it'll be a nice thing to do just right about then. You can dress up. Of course, that is a requirement as well, right? Dressing Good. up in costume. So, so I definitely uh, was happy to have found my black dress last minute. 
<laughs> and just sounds... needed to tie those braids, which I also haven't done since like school. Um, but it's it's a fun night, and it is definitely one that I would recommend. As the you know story progresses, you have different courses that are also served. So you've got food, and all of this has been pref- you know pre- prepared by Morticia herself. And each bite, you take at your own risk. I love this <laughs> song singing, crime solving. Adam's family fun. Thank you so much. We've run out of time. I knew we would. I knew we would. Um, for anyone that wants to find out about the tours you've got, which are starting in October, but really need to be booked as soon as possible. Um, and of course, all of your adventures around Dubai and beyond, Nada. What's the best best place to find you? Where can we find you online and in real life? Wanderwithneda.com on uh, my website and on Instagram as well. Real life, anywhere in the city. I'm always <laughs> wandering everywhere. about. Just just, just stroking the grapes <laughs> yes. in, in Hippopox Supermarket. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, And thank you for the treats. Absolutely. I am a massive fan. If you want those details, you can just send me the word wonder and I will send you the links you can find out about some of the trips that Nat's got coming up. Coming up, we are discussing healthy, holistic, long-term weight loss and weight management. If this is something that sounds like a distant dream, get in touch. If you are struggling, whether it's with emotional eating, yo-yo dieting, or maybe looking at incorporating some alternative things you've never tried before, this is your chance. Healthy Hania is in the studio. She is a weight loss expert, a certified PT, and now a certified Ayurvedic health coach. So we can we can help with all sorts of issues on, on today's show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Helen, for having me. You're glowing. You are an, uh, an absolute embodiment of everything we're talking about oh, today. Um, now, what are some of the challenges that you're getting people coming to you with? Are you noticing any kind of trends or patterns? Yeah, so the biggest challenge is is that people think that if something works for Karen, it'll work for them, Mm. you know, and so it's like, oh, you know, X lost so much weight doing this, and then I did it, I lost some, but then I gained it back plus some more. And so that's the challenge, like people trying to do like the fad diets, following what's trendy, um, losing the intuition about what their body needs, you know, okay, so people are going vegan, like Poonam was telling me something like, do we go vegan or not vegan? Like, we're just... Um, we have to kind of step back and see what's suitable for us. That's the bottom line. And everything which works for somebody else doesn't mean it works for us. Yet. It's interesting because we've got so much information now. And in some ways, that's fantastic. And there's more research and data and we've got more access to studies and you know what have you. But it's also super overwhelming. Um, um, I think it's human nature to be like, oh, I, oh, I would quite like a quick fix. And I would quite like to just be able to emulate someone else's success without, as you're saying, tuning into what our body needs, how we're feeling. And that's just a small part of it. I think, you know, I've had an awful lot of messages already talking about emotional eating. Mm. And I feel like that's something we've touched on before. But I think it's so valid to explore because, yes, food is fuel, but it's so much more than that. There's a whole story behind the food, right? It's part of one of the joys of life. And that's the thing when we try to box it up and make it like, uh, you know, just very simple one plus one equals two. It doesn't work that way. Like we have to look, it's it's okay to have emotional attachments to food. I mean, all of us do. Like sometimes we eat food when we're sad. We eat food when we're happy. I mean, that's okay as long as we... as long as it doesn't like exceed the boundaries to where it becomes like a chronic habit. And that's Mm. the only thing we know, like as, as far as like a coping, you know, but otherwise, um, yeah. Emotional eating is if, if you identify with that term, I would invite you to take, (laughs) I mean, it's so, but again, all of us do it to some extent. I I think I don't recognize it though. I remember we were talking about the pandemic earlier and online, online learning, which gives me shivers. 
I was stress eating like no one's business. Um, and weirdly like red licorice. I just needed like chewing and something sweet. And now it's the, there's this phrase of, I think it's from Japan, which is like, I'm not hungry, but my mouth is lonely. And I, I <laughs> fully identify with that. I'm just like, just little, it feels weird to be watching TV and not be eating or drinking something. So I'm just going to have a little step into the kitchen and hope something's magically appeared in my fridge. Um, so we are, as you're saying, we, we celebrate with food, we commiserate with food. But when it's no longer serving us and I guess our kind of health goals, but how do you then as a coach start to neutralize the power that food can have over somebody? Well, it's a good point. I actually delivered recently a masterclass on um, emotional healing uh, and, and how like weight you can activate your weight loss through emotional healing methods. And I have some tools that I that I share on my Instagram. Um, but what what I do is, like I said, emotional eating is covering up a deeper issue. If it's chronic emotional eating, it's like basically there's something, even whether it's boredom, whether it's stress, it's something we're not addressing. So our 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 like immediate response is to cover it with food because it takes away like it gives us this dopamine rush and it gives us something to do and we feel like ah uh, like it's like a like a mini relief but then mm-hmm. the the deeper problem is not gone so i it's it's great to do things like just um like have like medit- meditative practices on a daily basis do things that you enjoy a lot of people like if you're stuck with a job that you hate, with things that you don't like, yeah, you're probably going to be feeling stressed. Like, explore, like, what is it that you enjoy in your life? Like, add some of that, like, connect with friends. You'll find yourself much less drawn to food to deal with coping when you know how to manage your stress. And, like, you know, for example, if time is an issue, like, you know, people eat because of stress, because of, you know, poor time management. Like these are pointing towards things we can work on a little bit. Like no life is perfect, but we can work on little. If your kids stress you out, what can you do to have less stress from them? Like, you know, break it down a bit. So, yeah, but I think that speaks to a a few interesting really points there. It's that self-awareness. Why are we doing what 100%. we're doing? We distract ourselves. We, we, we don't realize it, but we love to distract ourselves from discomfort, from pain, from boredom, whatever. But now there's a, a writer called Johan Hari, who I don't actually like very much because he came to Dubai about 15 years ago and wrote a horrible article. However, he has got a really good <laughs> TED talk <laughs> on addiction. And he talks a lot about the root of all addiction is disconnection. And I think that's actually yep. annoyingly, because I don't like him, um, a very a very good point. Hundred percent. All true. right, we are going to go to the text line next, but I and I also want to talk to you about Ayurveda because you are an Ayurvedic health coach. Um, in that, uh, I don't know, discipline. How would you describe what Ayurveda is? Uh, mindset, philosophy. No. So how Ayurveda is actually like um, in the Sanskrit language, where it's it's it, uh, the science of Ayurveda originates from India, um, and in Sanskrit it means the science slash knowledge of life. So it's like the art of life, philosophy of life, and it's like a holistic signs of medicine, treatment, prevention. And the belief is that we are from the universe and our imbalances, aka diseases or whatever physical symptoms, whether it's like being overweight or whatever it is, the answers to that are within the universe. So we can heal with nature because we are part of nature. So all the herbal supplements, if it's true Ayurvedic products, then they're always going to be like fully natural and we can explore that further. We're going to be talking about the process of digestion and we're getting at the text line too. Healthy Hania is in the studio. Health 
Healthy Hanya is here, weight loss expert, certified PT and a certified Ayurvedic health coach. Now, I went on an Ayurvedic um, retreat a number of years ago. Um, <laughs> it was pretty extreme, to be honest. Uh, it was non-meat, non-dairy. There were lots of broths. There was um, some self-administered colonics that we were encouraged to do. Were you in India? Yes. Okay. And it was great. But my goodness, it was a lot to kind of wrap my head around. Mm. And you've obviously had a huge deep dive into this as an Ayurvedic health coach. Can you tell us about what you've taken away as some of the most important principles that everyone listening today could apply to their life in a very realistic and manageable way? Yeah, sure. First of all, I want to say that the way I trained in Ayurveda is a bit more applicable to our kind of lifestyle. So I studied Ayurveda via um, an institute in the UK. It's the largest one in Europe. And there... Although they they take the the deep like philosophies and theories of original Ayurveda, but they've applied it to where it's more appropriate for our lifestyle, what we can manage and eat. And, so you don't and, need to go on a retreat. <laughs> no, well, you don't have to do all that you did. I mean, I wouldn't be able to. I think I'm too like Dubai spoiled for that. So <laughs> it was it was pretty rough and ready. I mean, the, 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 what made it kind of more difficult was that only part of the hotel we were staying at was for us the other half was people who were having like chips and drinks by the pool and I'm like oh that smells good and then I'd go back to my little room and have have my broth um so and then you come back and I was having Pringles on my flighty by flight you know it was straight back into into modern life whereas the thought of integrating some of these you know science-based philosophies and tried and tested methods and ingredients really appeals to be honest so what do you think is a way of incorporating an element of it yeah so um like you're saying what you did is very extreme uh I wouldn't recommend that because often like you're saying it's just a is it even a quick fix to to do something to to inflict something like that on yourself for i mean it's a lot of time these kind of uh retreats are uh directed towards westerners because it has a certain appeal yeah. right so anyhow um if you want to incorporate principles of of ayurveda in your everyday life the number one foundation of it is your digestion so the in the belief in ayurveda is and this is parallel to the current system of what everybody's talking about, like the gut being the second brain and blah, 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 like how optimal gut health means good health, longevity and and all of that. And mental health as well, that brain gut connection. Exactly. So how do we digest our thoughts? You know, Um, we don't digest our thoughts properly. That becomes that can lead to disease in our body as well. Like we're holding on to energy that doesn't serve us. So getting back to the point of digestion, there's a mental emotional uh, aspect of that. And there's also like like, um, basically, the food that we eat, is it the right food for us? Um, are we, do we have any symptoms of not just indigestion as in bloating, but like, um, how do we, there's, indigestion could look like uh, not going to the toilet at all or like very little, going too much, having some kind of cramps. There's like a whole series of direct, you know, symptoms of digestion. Now, when our food isn't, properly digested, um, it, in the Ayurvedic philosophy, it leaves um, toxins in our system, which aren't like basically our food's not is circulating in our body and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And it can block certain channels and that can lead to disease. So they say that the root of every illness is actually poor digestion, because if you have a superpower digestion, you can break down anything and nothing will actually there's no toxicity in your body, right? It's interesting. And there's also from what I remember from this retreat, which is yeah, stay, stayed with me, was about body types and body, I guess, constitution. And, yeah. uh, you know, and also that can relate to your personality as well. Are you able to speak to that? And yeah, 
well, and I, I can't remember what, what I was told I was, but maybe you can tell me. Yeah, so there's no clear cut, you know, uh, answer on that. It's so, so, so the idea is in, in Ayurveda, we have three main types of body constitutions. There's the vata, pitta and kapha type, okay? And we are all a blend of these three. Now, what is a body constitution? Like I said in the beginning of our talk, um, we are all created from, on a subatomic level, from elements of the earth, okay? And everything in this universe is created from those elements. And they're, the, the, the basic elements of the earth in Ayurveda, there are five of them. I won't go into too much detail. And the body constitutions ha- are basically different proportions of those elements. Okay, sorry if I'm getting too complicated. I'm interested. (laughs) Yeah, we can do a whole separate series on this if you want. Um, And so... Well, let's let's talk about the vata type. So vata type people have more of what we would say in common English, like more of like an airy personality. So it doesn't mean like you're an airhead or anything like that. It just means that maybe um, you are more personality wise. You are somebody who's more artistic, who is like think of like uh, writers, dancers, like, uh, you know, a free spirited kind of people uh, like to dance, you know, like that kind of um I'm generalizing, okay, because we are a blend of all three. Nobody is 100% one thing or 50-50 even. It's like a little bit of everything. So that would be a predominant vata type. And they would have typically like a lighter body, uh, like a smaller like body frame, for example. Um, they don't like to eat too much. They're more like, you know, they, they're they more that artist kind of person, okay? So not me. <laughs> so, me neither, actually. <laughs> and then you have sort of like the middle average kind of person who is a pitta. And they are kind of, I would say, somewhere in between the, the the two other, between the vata and the kappa. So they're like a medium body type. They kind of are, they like structure. They're they're like your, um, they have like good leadership qualities. So that's kind of like what society's expectation of us is a pitta person. Okay, like nowadays with the school system, with the career, you know, ladders and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because the other groups will have trouble fitting into those, right? So it comes down to even like, how is your child? Like when you think of parenting, it's important to understand that all of our kids are not going to be cookie cutter, like going down the you know generic route and whatnot. And then you have the kappa type, which is very earthy, um, a little bit, bit bigger boned. Features tend to be like big lips, big eyes, like bigger eyebrows, like thick hair. Um, again, I'm just generalizing. And those people love to eat. They are like the motherly figures. They are, um, they like nature. They like animals. Okay, so just giving you a picture. And again, we're a mix of all those three. And the three types of body constitutions will see uh, a different affinity for different um, physical illnesses. Mm-hmm. So some groups will have, you might see more obesity in the kappa group because they have this love for food. They have this, they, ha- they do more emotional eating, They do, right? And then you might see more like bone degeneration in like the vata types because they have um, less, they have a lower bone density, they're lighter weight, uh, they like to be very hyperactive, they may don't rest enough, they don't give their body enough rest. So those are some examples of body types. It's so interesting. <laughs> Isn't and, it? And it's really interesting to think about how much of our knowledge and medicine comes from the Western world, you know, research done on Western patients and perhaps how other parts of the world have been completely unserved and, and, and observed. <laughs> Thank you.
Hania is with us today, weight loss expert, certified PT and certified Ayurvedic health coach. And we're going to go to the text line. Um, we've had a number of messages looking for some clarity and insight on everything from motivation, really, to these kind of so-called superfoods. I've had not one, but two messages about apple cider vinegar. Um, and one here saying, I met a friend a few weeks ago, I hadn't seen her in months. She's clearly lost a lot of weight. I asked her what changes to her routine she's made and apparently a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar every morning. Husband does not believe this could work. I'm trying it for myself. Second day, so very early days. But I do feel fuller and I've been snacking less. Does this stuff actually work or am I just telling myself stories? That's from Jen. And no name on this one saying, is it healthy or good to the digestive system or at least harmless to have a spoonful of apple cider vinegar diluted in a glass of water in the morning or any time of day? What's your take? Mm, okay, that's a really good question because what is always what always works isn't always going to be healthy, right? So we need to look at that. Now, I want to just rewind a little bit. We talked about digestion in Ayurveda and I want to talk about the concept concept of taste. Okay, so taste of food is a huge thing in Ayurveda. And to simplify, are the elements that we are made of, what I talked about, like the body constitution types, those elements are associated with certain tastes. Okay, like I'm just trying to very much simplify this. So that means that our body for optimal balance needs certain tastes. So our tastes are actually part of the digestion and part of the satisfaction that our body gets. And I'm going to add another thing real quick is that satisfaction of eating is a really big thing in sustainable weight loss. Um, and it's it, it finds it's, it's justified from the Ayurvedic approach as well. So when you are satisfied with the diet you're on or whatever the plan you're on, you are less likely to go back to your old ways. Now let's get back to the concept of taste. There's one taste in Ayurveda. There's six tastes in Ayurveda. One of them is the astringent taste, and that's the category of apple cider vinegar. Now, do you remember when we talked about vata, pitta, and kapha? So kapha is um, the element which, which, the body constitution which has the elements which can more easily make you gain weight. Okay, so now when you have a kappa imbalance, that means that um, one of the issues could be that you have you have a weight issue. Now to f- to neutralize that excess kappa, you can do that with certain elements that you that you eat, and those are one of them is the astringent taste. So to summarize what I'm saying. Food with astringent taste, such as apple cider vinegar, vinegar, will help you fight the fat, but it needs to be done in a way that is um, good for you. So, like, I never recommend to anybody to take uh, spoonfuls of apple cider vinegar because if you have too much of the astringent taste, that could be a problem. Um, if you have, uh, if you're like a vata consistent constitution person and you're having if you're overweight vata having the apple cider vinegar that could affect your bone density that could affect other problems so all around it's really good to have a like your you know have your tongue satisfied by a whole palette of tastes but uh, to just go really hardcore on one because it helps you lose weight Mm -hmm. isn't the answer because it could give you a problem in a different area makes sense Makes sense. It, it, that, this comes back to that one size does not fit all. And also, every dentist I know absolutely hates it. 
Yes, exactly, because it has some corrosive factors. I mean, this is like very acidic, right, pH. And I want to talk about taste real quick is that um, the problem where a lot of people find themselves addicted to food and emotional eating and, and dependent and whatnot is because of the food industry. They have made foods, packaged foods and, you know, whatever, even stuff you eat in a restaurant, so tasty because of their high content of salt and sugar. Like, that's the addiction, actually, Mm -hmm. the salt and sugar addiction, okay? Sweet and salty. And now the problem is we don't get satisfied. Our, Our bodies, we might get an instant gratification, but our body is not getting satisfied because it needs those four other tastes. Did you know the most popular food in Britain? You could probably guess. <laughs> Chips? No, no. <laughs> what? Curry. Yeah. So why is that? Because it's, you know, like the, the food from the subcontinent actually covers all your six tastes. So you actually get satisfied. Like, you know, it's not like having just French fries. Not that British people eat French fries only. We do. <laughs> we just call them chips. <laughs> right. Heading to the text line. I had a message earlier saying, I lost 20 kilos in three months with keto. No exercise. It's easier than what people think. And it's not what many people think. Thank you for that. Um, Eddie's saying, um, is there a safe, natural appetite suppressant? Does this exist? Something without major side effects that simply makes you less hungry. Google is a minefield, so I thought I'd ask here. I mean, sign me up if there is. I mean, like, I, that's not really my approach. Um, I don't believe that we, if, if, if we're in balance, we'll be eating this. <laughs> sounds like an easy way to answer it. But if you, if you try to go to the root and correct your, um, your habits, your mindset, eat balance, eat a variety of tastes, now that we've, import- we've uncovered the importance of taste, like have different, you know, onions, ginger, garlic, like different um, herbs in your food, different spices in your food, you will be more satisfied with less. You know, you'll have less of that. You'll find yourself eating less sweet. Like, Helen, I don't know if you've... F- Actually, you've lost so much weight in one go. You need to tell us the well, secret. Do you know what? I've only started kind of realizing for me, lot, so much of it is habit. So for me, I think I got until these patterns of it's seven o'clock in the morning, so I need to eat breakfast now. Whereas actually that doesn't suit me at mm, all. Mm-hmm, so when we mm-hmm. were on holiday and we were paying for hotels with breakfast included and we were having breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning because I'm getting my money's worth. <laughs> I wouldn't be feeling good. Whereas on a normal day, like today, for example, I didn't eat anything until about, I don't know, half nine, ten o'clock. And that's when I was like, oh, I could eat something now. But it's interesting. But it's only now in my 40s that I'm actually listening to my body. I don't always listen to it. I often ignore it. But I'm kind of a little bit more tuned in, I guess. Yeah. And the more you listen to it, the more um, you, you'll, people will find that they're losing weight with more ease because mm-hmm. they're not doing something out of feeling like they're forced to do it or it's, or it's the right thing to do, like you're saying. And you know, like somebody like you who is more of a kappa, like um, you're tall, like, you know, like your, your frame and your, you know, the, your, the way you look and all that. And so for a kappa person, they if they have two good meals in a day, like without restriction, they're not going to be munching and anything like, I mean, is that right? Could you say something yeah. like that? Like if you feel satisfied, I'm not like you're eating what you want to eat in your mealtime. You won't feel drawn to having like random stuff, right? Mm. <laughs> I love a little, I love a little graze of the snack cupboard, but I don't need it. But yes, I know what you mean. I've got pretty like steady stamina. My, my personality is pretty steady. Does that make yep, sense? Yep, yep, that make yep, sense? Yep, yep. God, there's so much to unpack here. Okay, um, let's see how we can squeeze in just one more question. Um, we've had a message about turmeric, about how to use it and some of the benefits. Now, when my dad was going through um, chemo, he was like, 
I'm going to eat to beat cancer. I'm going to have、mm. raw cauliflower and raw garlic, and I'm going to have turmeric tablets every day. And my mum was like, I, I hear you, and、mm. by all means, Dave. Have the turmeric, but if you could have the chemo as well, I would, really would appreciate it. So he did both, and、okay. he's, he's in great health.、Um, but it is really interesting to see how kind of the West has massively embraced turmeric lattes, turmeric tablets.、Mm. What does Ayurvedic say about it, and how is it incorporated? Yeah, so turmeric has amazing、um, health benefits. Now, the thing in Ayurveda is, and if, even if you look at any kind of、um, Cooking from the subcontinent is that turmeric is always used in very small doses and it's mixed in the food. Like there are other spices with it. Nobody's having like spoonfuls of it. So、um, sometimes like people go a bit like, like except. You know, extreme in making the tablets of everything.、Mm-hmm. And, and there have been cases where it's been actually quite dangerous, like、um, because turmeric has heating and drying, it, it has like antiseptic、uh, properties. So it's very good for actually healing topically. There's yeah, no I, harm in that. I know a lot of chefs who will just throw someone in the kitchen if they cut themselves. Yeah, exactly. But to have it like purely ingested in the form of tablet,、um, I have a friend, she was doing that and like her cycle stopped, like, because it's very drying. It could be heating and it could affect other things. So I personally don't recommend taking that、uh, as a supplement, but you know, why not add like a quarter teaspoon in your food and like your here and there? That's like a better way to go, I would say. Makes sense to me.、Um, okay. I'm gonna, sorry to Kylie Minogue, but I'm ditching her.、Um, <laughs> let's talk about motivation because I feel like this kind of summarizes an awful lot of messages that we've had today, honey.、So mm. This is from G saying, Every single day I wake up telling myself, Today is the day I will stop eating rubbish. Roll on bedtime. I'm face down in a family bag of Maltesers, berating myself once again for being such a failure. How do I stop doing this? I understand what I need to do. I have all the information I need.、Mm. Just apparently a complete lack of willpower. How can I change my habits for longer than three days at a time? Wow. Okay. So, first of all, I want to just say I have a freebie on my Instagram page. It's a free ebook called Thrive, and it's a six. Um, step fundamental process to weight loss、um, from my perspective. And you can just go on there and get it for free, download it. And in there, you're gonna,、uh, your、um, audience members will get more clarity on why they struggle with the motivation. Now, one thing I, I do want to say is that people tend to have a very black or white mindset when it comes to, to food and you know, habits. And it's not like that. What if tomorrow you woke up and you did like 10% better than today or 5%? It doesn't have to be that you have to like trash your Maltesers and just go vegan and, and have like, you know, grow、Beast、your, mode, grow your farm. <laughs> Burpees all the time. It doesn't work. Like just set yourself. I have a list of. Um, in my free ebook, I have like 20, I have 60 lifestyle habits you can start implementing from beginner, medium, and advanced. And if you could just pick three beginner ones every day and stick to them, you will get the confidence to do the more complicated stuff. But nobody, nobody won races by just like just starting running one day. Like they have to keep practicing. So you have to like、uh, trash the mindset of like all or nothing、mm-hmm. and I'm a failure or I'm a winner. No, you just take one step at a time. You know,、uh, build your confi- confidence by sticking to it, and you'll see it just 
it'll it'll be more natural. You'll find yourself um, you have a higher self worth. You feel like you want to do more. Like, but if you if if this person is has done this multiple times, this is not working for her or him. So they need to change the way they look at that. Mm. If you want details of that free ebook, I've just found it now. You can just send me the word health. I will send that to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you really, for really having appreciate me. It. Um, we, we, a lot of messages we didn't get to, but I really hope that has been useful. Um, Healthy Hania in the studio. And as I said, if you want details of that free ebook, The Fundamental Guide to Weight Loss, Six-Step Process to Weight Loss Without Calorie Counting. Thank you. Or Intense Cardio. Send me the word <laughs> health and I will hook you up. We're having a much needed reminder now on child protection laws and ultimately just how sadly widespread child abuse is. Um, and who better to speak to than Mariam Asani? She's the founder and, ch- and CEO of Child Safe Emmy. She's an international child protection and child safeguarding expert. And um, she's actually speaking to us ahead of a congress that's happening in Edinburgh on this very topic. Mariam, how are you? Hi, Helen. Thank you. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Now, I, to be completely honest, I, as much as I really love you, I don't relish these conversations. I find it very uncomfortable as a parent and as just as a person in society to, to think about just how widespread child abuse is. Um, but I feel like it's important because, it, you know, when we don't when we don't share these stats and we don't talk about recourse and laws and just what is happening in the world, it doesn't it doesn't make the situation any better so thank you for for being with us today and i'll try and put my discomfort aside for the next uh, the next few minutes can we get an idea of stats and figures when it comes to child abuse and neglect well first of all helen i just want to say you are not the only one who's uncomfortable about this conversation i hear it from many parents from many professionals they it's not an easy conversation to have. But as you just said earlier, we need to be talking about these things in order to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. So we know that child abuse and neglect is still happening. And it's not something that is going to stop because we know this is for a fact that there are some people who take advantage and misuse their power when it comes to child protection and child safeguarding. Mm -hmm. So that is why we need more awareness. That is why we need champions in child protection, people who can talk about it and raise awareness and and share the right tools and the right knowledge with parents, for caregivers, with doctors, nurses, everybody basically, because I keep hearing that, why do we need to talk about it? I don't have a child. It doesn't matter. Even if you come across a child, your neighbor's child, anyone else, if you spot something, you see something which is not okay, or you think it's a red flag, you need to act. Mm-hmm. And child protection, it's uh, within the UAE, has been established since 2016. And I'm very proudly uh, here to say that it has made a, a huge progress in terms of implementation. But do we still need to talk about it? Yes, of course, we have to. Because some people are still unaware and still have that taboo, that fear of not talking and not opening up about things like that. Absolutely. And, and it is in that silence and stigma that you know predators thrive really you know it's through not wanting to make a fuss not making 
drawing attention to yourself, not wanting to be difficult, um, that, you know, people take advantage of that. So let's let's talk a little bit about, let's talk about the, about what actually we're talking about when it comes to child abuse and, and ultimately what law is in place here in the UAE that addresses that. Can you can you speak to that, Mariam? Yes. So the, the Wadima law, which is the child protection law, was established in 2016 under the UAE law. And uh, since then, a lot of different entities have been implementing it. And when I'm talking about entities, it's health sector, education sector, and also some businesses who deal with social corporate responsibility departments in, in different countries or within the UAE. And uh, the, it is mandatory. Everybody has signed up to say that, yes, we do uh, adhere to child protection law and we will implement, but still we need a lot of awareness and there are different um, organizations within the UAE who can support during the implementation. So, for example, we have the Ministry of Interior, uh, which there is a phone number, people can call in, they can ask questions, and that's uh, 116-111. And also there is a CDA where you can also report and discuss any matters. Sometimes maybe you have some thinking in your head, you're not clear, is this child abuse? Mm -hmm. Is this neglect? You need to speak to a professional about that. It's not something that you can judge within your own knowledge because unfortunately we all come with different story in our head and different culture. So we need to be able to ask professionals and get help and report uh, these matters. So Mariam, for me growing up, and I think many other people in kind of my generation, um, was stranger danger, you know, beware of the stranger. And that narrative changed a little bit. Unfortunately, we see an awful lot of abuse within families and within friendship circles. Um, what do you feel like the, the latest narrative is when it comes to looking out for those red flags and ultimately speaking to our children about it as well? Yeah, so it's about creating a safe circle uh, because every family has a safe circle or safe network around them. It, it can be different to another family. So we have to just sit down and talk to our children about it who is the person who can they, they can reach out to. So stranger danger has changed, and I'm happy about that because sometimes we need the stranger to step in, somebody who we don't know, like a police officer or somebody who's outside. We can't just scare and create fear in a child, saying the outside world is scary, mm -hmm. only the inside it's, it's safe. But that's not the case. The case is that we have to talk about the safe uh, circle within the family, within our setting, in order for the child to understand. And there is different uh, child-friendly material. So people ask me, when do we start talk about this uh, conversations with our children? You can start as early as two, three, but then you use the right material mm -hmm. to encourage the safety and encourage the confidence for the child to speak up. So it, it, this is the, what I'm trying to ask parents to please do and not to say it's an uncomfortable conversation. And I heard from many parents saying, but if we talk about it, maybe it will happen. No, that's the wrong approach, unfortunately, because when you talk about it, you raise awareness and you make sure your child knows what to do if anything happens. It's interesting, all around my um, daughter's school are these posters with her, a hand, the outline of a hand on, and it's talking about who are your, who are your five safe people. And it's something we, we've talked about in the past, and it's exactly that. You talked about your, your circle there. Who'd, who, do you, who do you trust? Who are you okay to get changed in front of? Who is your trusted adult yeah. if you get mm -hmm. an uncomfortable feeling? And as you say, it's not about scaring two or three-year-olds. It's, it's, yeah. In some ways, it's, it's, exact, it's, it's, it's the opposite. It's about empowering and say, if you feel this way, 
this is who you can go to. Um, Marion, you're yeah. speaking to us ahead of the International Society for Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect. This is a congress in partnership with um, Scottish Police, University of Edinburgh, bringing the world of child protection together. And that's going to be happening in about 10 days' time. What do we know yeah. about what's going to be on the agenda? Um, you know, some of the latest stats or advancements or concerns. What, what, what do you think is going to be discussed? So I, I can't believe it's happening because we, it was about a year ago when we started just talking about it. And now in 10 days, I will be flying there. And it's we have more than 800 participants who have registered from across the globe. And we have the Ministry of Interior and UAE who is attending, Dubai police. And, and, and every, everyone from different regions are attending. So this shows that there is still a gap within child protection. And also we need connectivity. We need to connect with other professionals, with other people who work within this field to raise the awareness. So the, the, one of the topics that we will be discussing during the Congress is a three-day Congress. It's AI, the artificial intelligence. Everybody's talking about it now. But do we actually talk about the risk of it to our children? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? So that's very important. I'm really looking forward that we have expertise in AI coming to join to talk about this topic and how we can start having preventative programs and, and research and policies because we are evolved. Everything is changing around us. We need to be equipped with the right knowledge as a parent, as a caregiver, as a teacher, as, as an individual in a society to be able to safeguard children. And, and that's very important that we come together. And I'm really, really looking forward to that Congress uh, because uh, we will be meeting many people, meet many expertise and sharing knowledge. And hopefully we come back with more knowledge, more uh, good practice to share within the UAE as well. Mario Mosani with us today, the founder and CEO of Child Safe ME. Um, I wanted to run something past you, Mario, and I did think about messaging you on the day, but you know how life gets in the way. I spoke about this um, with a family lawyer, actually, a, a couple of months ago now. Um, in that, I was on the beach just before the summer, mm-hmm. having a bit of a swim um, on my own, and there was a family just in the water. Uh, mother and a father and a little girl who must have been about five and at first glance they were teaching her how to swim and as I got closer to them I could hear them saying to her you need to swim now and if you don't swim here we're going to go into the deep water and then you're going to be really scared and she was crying oh my goodness (laughs) and they um they they were I mean I'm not exaggerating my tone I I was really taken aback and I kind of observed and then I did like, I'm just going to have a little swim past you so you can see that I've seen what you're mm. doing and what you're saying. And it didn't make any difference. They were, you know, they were, they, she ran out of the, out of the, you know, onto the sand and they went back and grabbed her and pulled her back in. It's like, we you know, we're not leaving until you've swum and we will go deeper, mm. you know. And I was getting really, really upset right. just listening to yeah. this. Yeah. And I had to go, I had, you know, I had to go. So I had a little chat with a lifeguard as I was like, just, I just said, just keep an eye on it. And he said, I am, I can hear them. It's not good. And it stayed with me for days, to be honest, because in my mind, and you know what, if they're listening now, I don't care. I really don't care. (laughs) Um, If if that's how they're behaving and speaking to a little girl who was distraught, sobbing on a public beach, I don't like my head to go to what happens behind closed doors. And I didn't know what to do in that moment. I didn't know if I should go over and say, please don't. I mean, you you just don't know what to do. And then I didn't know yeah. if I should have done something afterwards. So I guess I just want to hear from you about, I guess, what role and responsibility we have, if any, 
as as public as bystanders or if it's much more complicated than that? Well, the, the, the first thing, I mean, it comes to my mind, I'm sure they're not doing this intentionally to, to, to hurt or to uh, give a negative impact, but they're trying to encourage in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. So this is why sometimes uh, these things happen within a family setting because they think from their own view it's, it's okay and it's not going to harm and it's not going to damage their thinking about safety or, or staying safe. So, I mean, it, some people will not feel comfortable. If it was me, I would go and I would say, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I do that quite a lot, and I don't get a good positive response to it, but I try. I try to say, like, this is not, uh, you know, the right approach. I would like to help if you like. But then again, this is my field of work. I don't know how would a person feel if it's not their field of work mm, and they want to go in. Not comfortable. But again, yeah. But again, if, if we talk about, like, spotting a, a different scenario where you are very sure that the child is, uh, uh, is being harmed, I mean, this is emotional harm that you're talking about here Mm -hmm. and it could lead to something else because if she was forced into the water then that's different but it's it's about taking action somehow and i would encourage people to do that or maybe i don't know i mean how would would that be in terms of your scenario but uh how old was the child about five five yeah yeah, I mean, you see quite a lot of that. It's like a forcible encouragement, which doesn't really lead to a positive impact. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it really upset me. It oh, really, really yeah. did. But I, I, but I just, I think, I think, I'm sure a lot of people listening will have seen that where a child has been, you know, you know, smacked or pulled around, you know, all all these things we see. But as you say, we all come to our own lens and our own context and our, our own kind of parameters yeah. of what's okay and what's not. But it is, it's a really complicated one. But the law is there. As you said, Wadima's law is there. It's it's widely available. It's on the KHJ website. And I've had a number of people asking for the details of the phone number. You mentioned there the Ministry of Interior's child abuse hotline. It's yeah. Um yeah. So if you want that, just send me the word phone. I'll send that to you. No questions asked. Um, and Marin, if anyone wants to find out more about what you do um, and some of the resources that you have um, online, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, they can follow us on Instagram at ChildSafeME or they can go to our website at ChildSafeME as well dot com where we can try to help in, in any way in terms of their sector because we work with different sectors on raising awareness on child safeguarding and child protection. So we'll be very happy to help if anyone have any question or if they want to still register for the Congress. We still have one day left until the registration closes. It's a bit last minute, but hopefully people can still push it <laughs> and can come and join us in Edinburgh. Well, I hope Edinburgh goes well. Please come back to us afterwards when you've had time to reflect on some of those conversations. I think it, as uncomfortable as it does make me, I think it is really, really valuable. And thank you again for all of the amazing work thank that you, you do. Alan. Thank you for using your platform for raising awareness. Thank, thank you. you. Mariam Asani speaking to us, as I said there, on uh, the Instagram. It is child underscore safe underscore me. And the phone number to report child abuse or indeed investigate what you might have seen. Um, the Ministry of Interior is 116 If you didn't catch that, just send me the word phone and I will send it your way. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.